are thankful this morning for this name of Jesus and for who Jesus is to us, what he's done for us. Father, we are thankful that we have opportunities like we have had this morning to express our adoration to you, to express and declare to you that we believe you are worthy of all the glory that we can give you through our songs. And we pray that as we open up your word this morning that we would see that you're worthy of glory as, as we sing, but also as you speak to us from your word. Help us to worship you today. Help us to uh, accept this invitation to worship. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Take your Bible and look with me in Psalm 95. Psalm 95 is where we'll spend a few moments this morning as we think about an invitation to worship, an invitation that God has given you today that you have accepted, and I'm glad that you have, an, an invitation that he will give us every day, and an invitation he gives us to worship every week as we assemble together as a family of faith to worship. Now, this year we're zeroing in on, on two core values of our church, and that is the spiritual discipline of worship and the importance of the Word of God in our lives. My prayer is for every member of our church to, to, to have a consistent interaction with the Word of God and the God who wrote that Word to us and the God who is that word in our lives. And that's my prayer for you. And you can be an answer to that prayer. You can join many others in our church as we read through the Bible this year. You can join a, a connection group that meets every Sunday morning at 9.15 to study the word together. You can come here on Wednesday nights at 6 o'clock where there are groups all over this campus whose sole purpose is to open up the word of God and to study it, to hear what God has to say for us. It's also my prayer that every member of First Baptist Church, that every one of us would encounter the living God in worship, both as individuals and, and corporately. In fact, uh, we've got some things planned this year to help you do that. Go ahead now and mark your calendar for April 28th through 30th. Go ahead and jot those dates down. April 28th through 30th. That's going to be a Friday evening. It's going to be a Saturday morning. And it'll be a Sunday morning to where we're going to have a special weekend uh, in which we emphasize worship and we'll have a special guest. And so as you mark that in your calendar, a lot of y'all aren't marking. You're just looking at me. And the longer you look at me, the longer I preach. So mark that in your calendar. Don't file away up here because I didn't talk to some of y'all that can't remember your phone number this morning. Don't, don't file away up here. Jot it down. April 28th, 29th, and 30th, we're going to have a, a unique opportunity to go deeper in our experience of worship, and you'll hear more about that in the coming weeks. Another way that we're approaching the worship strand of our DNA is to just to spend several weeks looking together at what God has said about worship, for him to challenge us from his word, and to us, for us to have the opportunity to respond to 
do that. You recall last week I told you that worship is our response to what we value the most. If, if God is valued the most in our lives, he will be worshiped. And that worship is your response to God's presence and his activity in your life. That response, as we looked at last week, should be to present yourself to God as an offering every single day to honor and to glorify God by what we say and by what we do. One of the challenges we face in that, and one of the challenges we face in becoming worshipers, is that we sometimes blur the line between worship as duty and worship as delight. You see, worship for all of us, it will either be duty, D-U-T-Y, something that we feel like we have to do, or it will be delight, something that we feel like we get to do. Now, a lot of Sunday mornings, especially when we wake up in the panhandle of Florida to 30-some degree weather, worship, we're tempted for it to become a duty, right? We're tempted to think, well, here's something. I've got to mark off my spiritual to-do list. If I don't show up, God may be mad at me. If I don't show up, the, the, the preacher may start getting on to me. He may single me out. So I better do this. Worship becomes a duty. Worship as a delight, however, means that this is something that we get to do because we value God above all. And as we worship, we're able to express to God the value that we have placed upon him by giving him honor and glory and praise. It is easy for worship to become a duty. In fact, left to ourselves, that's exactly where we will go. We will default to thinking we have to do this thing call worship to keep God on our good side. How then can worship become our delight? Now that's a multifaceted answer to that question. But part of the answer is to remind ourselves of this truth. God himself invites us to worship him because he desires for us to worship him. Last week, we looked at John 4, 23, I referenced it, which tells us that God, the Father, is seeking people to worship him in spirit and in truth. Worship becomes a duty when we add a bunch of rules and requirements to it. We have to sing this kind of song. We have to wear this kind of clothing. We have to act this way and not that way. We have to stay at this volume. That's when worship becomes a duty. Worship becomes a delight when we realize that man-made rules and regulations and requirements are complete rubbish and that God himself extends to us today the invitation to worship him. Because when God sends the invitation, he gets to decide what happens. And one of those invitations is found in Psalm 95. We're going to have fun this morning. I'm going to have fun this morning. I don't know about you. But I think we're going to be in for a treat when we understand what the Lord says to us in Psalm 95. <clears throat> oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. 
Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. For the Lord is a great God. He's a great king above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth. The heights of the mountains are his also. The sea is his for he has made it. And his hands form the dry land. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. For he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as at Meribah, as on the day at Massah in the wilderness, when your fathers put me to the test and put me to the proof, though they had seen my work. For 40 years I loathed that generation and said, they are a people who go astray in their heart and they have not known my ways. Therefore, I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Did you see repeatedly in this psalm, is God inviting us, let us come into God's presence. Let us worship him. Let us kneel before the Lord our God, our maker. Let us sing unto him. Let us give him glory that is due him. This is an invitation from God to worship. The question this morning is, how will we respond? So I want to, for a few moments, try to understand this invitation to worship by mentioning three characteristics that are included with it. The first one is this, the invitation to worship, it involves a call to rejoice. It involves a call to rejoice. And I'll warn you ahead of time, we'll spend most of our time on this first aspect. So when I finish, don't go, my goodness, he's got two more. Just hang with me, okay? This is an invitation that involves a call to rejoice. There is a lot of rejoicing taking place in the first five verses of Psalm 95. Let us sing to the Lord. Let's make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. For the Lord is a great God, a great king above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth. The heights of the mountains are his also. The sea is his, for he made it. And his hands form the dry land. This psalm is a psalm that calls us to rejoice. Amen. It teaches us something about our worship of God. When we gather here together especially, For example, this psalm teaches us in the first five verses that worship is not just for the individual, it is for the congregation. See, there is repeated phrases in the first two verses. In fact, it's repeated four times in the two verses, let us. Now, I'm not that smart an individual, but I know that us is not singular, it is plural. Let us Let us, let us, yes, worship has 
an individual element to it. We talked about that last week, but God has designed worship to be congregational as well. That's why we think that you coming here on Sundays together as a body of believers who place their faith in Jesus Christ to worship is important because God's designed this not just for you, but for us to let us come together. Worship is intended to use your voice. He said, to sing unto the Lord. God always longs for us to sing out to him songs of praise. God never tires of us declaring how worthy he is. Worship will always begin in your heart, but it must move to your mouth to declare it. God has not called you to be a not-on-a-log Baptist. God's called you to use your voice to speak forth his excellencies and to speak forth what he's done for us. We see worship, this psalm teaches us, is intended to reflect a joy-filled heart. I'm going to make a statement that I'm sure I'll get an email or two about, but that's all right. If Our worship doesn't reflect joy. It must be an indication that we don't possess it. Because what's in you is going to come out of you. That when you fill your life with Jesus, there's nowhere for him to go than to come out. And what this psalm is teaching us, for example, it says in verse 1, to sing. Now that word sing, it it does not mean hum. I I did a little, I spent some time with this word sing this week to see what it meant. Because I'm kind of like my daddy. My daddy says that, or he said, that he could carry a tune in a five-gallon bucket. He just couldn't pour it out. (laughs) This word sing is a word that means shout. It's the same word that's used in Joshua chapter 6 in verse 20. When Joshua fought the battle of Jericho, and when they go and they march around that, that, that city wall, and when they get ready to march around the last time, God said, I want you to shout. It's the exact same word that's used in Psalm 95. In fact, it's used again in 1 Samuel chapter 4 and verse 5. The Ark of the Covenant was brought into the community of God And the people, when they got in God's presence in the Old Testament, that's where the presence of God dwelt, was the Ark of the Covenant. That when the Ark of the Covenant came into their presence, they shouted, they sang so loud, Scripture tells us the ground shook. They didn't go, I've got the joy, 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 somewhere in my heart. There was a sing, there was a depth, there was a, a, a shout. Now look, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not really sure why our worship is it's not as vigorous as what we see in the Old Testament or even other places in the world. Maybe, maybe we've gotten into a rut 
Maybe we don't have that much joy in our hearts. I'm not sure what all the reasons are, but I'm personally challenged by this psalm to become more intentional in reflecting joy as I worship God. That To understand that when we worship God, when we're singing about the deliverance we have from God, if that doesn't at least make us smile, I don't know that we've experienced the deliverance. Because the joy comes into our lives through Jesus Christ and worship is intended by God to reflect a joy-filled heart. And here's some, while we're still going, let's get a few more emails. We also tend to be just a little bit critical of those who choose to worship with joy and enthusiasm. That's not new. In fact, there's a man called David who scripture tells us was a man after God's own heart. (coughs) And he got so excited about what God was doing in his life that uh, the Ark of the Covenant, God's presence, comes into his life. And this is what it tells us in 2 Samuel 6 and verse 16. (coughs) It tells us that David got so happy and so excited that as the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, Michelle, the daughter of Saul, looked out the window and saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, and she despised him in her heart. She said, what is that fool doing? Why is he acting that way? He must have gone down the streets here and went on by the package store before he got to church. Because there's something different. And listen to what the story tells us as it continues in 2 Samuel, how David responded. In 2 Samuel chapter 6 and verse 20, it says that David returned to bless his household. But Michelle, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet David and said, How the king of Israel honored himself today, uncovering himself before the eyes of his servants, female servants, as one of the vulgar fellows shamelessly uncovers himself. And David said to Michelle, it was before the Lord who chose me above your father and above all his house to appoint me as prince over Israel to the people of the Lord. And I will celebrate before David said, talk to my hand because I've got some praise to give God. We have to, we need to be careful. Listen, we need, if, if you don't want to have joy, that's your choice, but don't impede others when they have joy. So when someone shouts a little loud, if they do, when someone claps a little loud, even if it's out of rhythm, when someone does something that that you think, you better be very careful. Don't you dare tell somebody to stop praising as they praise. And if someone does tell you to stop praising as you praise, come tell me who they are and we'll have a Bible study together. Also, we have to be very careful because worship all through Scripture is intended to reflect a joy-filled heart because worship is intended to be God-centered. The reason that our hearts are filled with joy as we worship is because God is at the center. Now, emotions are fine, but we're not to get emotional or enthusiastic for our sake. 
Our focus should not be on how worship makes us feel. Our focus should be upon the God who is worthy of worship. At no point in Psalm 95 does God, in his invitation to worship, say, I think I'd like to know how you liked it today. The focus of our worship is God. That's why this psalm commands us to sing to the Lord, to the rock of our salvation. That's why this psalm calls us to come into his presence and to make a joyful noise to him. We are called to sing directly to God, not just to talk about how we feel when we worship. We are to engage our body, our mind, our soul, and our spirit, complete with our emotions in a total preoccupation with a great God who has saved us. God does not invite you to a funeral every Sunday. He invites us to worship a living, risen Savior. And you can't do that without rejoicing. You cannot meet a living Savior without rejoicing in what that Savior has done for you. This invitation to worship is a call to rejoice. Second, this invitation to worship is a call to reverence. It's a call to reverence. The last part of verse 6, and verse verse 6, the first part of verse 7, tells us to come, let us worship him and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, for he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. This psalm now has shifted in its tone. It's gone from enthusiastic and loud songs of joy to all inspired reverence and humility before God. In verses 1 and 2, the worshiper stands in God's presence shouting forth praise. And now in verse 6, the worshiper falls on his face before God in humbled silence. You see, worship involves both animated rejoicing and speechless reverence. It's not either or, it is both and. Not only does the mood of the psalm change, but the focus changes as well. Notice how in verses 4 and 5, the focus is on God as creator. And now in verse 6 and 7, the focus is on God as our redeemer. We are the flock under his care. The focus moves from God as creator to God as redeemer. We are the flock under his care. We are the people of his pasture. God is our loving shepherd who pays attention, close attention to each of us personally. And when we view God as our redeemer, there are times as we view God as redeemer that it calls forth from us praise. But there are times when we understand the depths of sin that from which we've been forgiven. There are times that we understand how God is our redeemer, that our only response can be to bow down low and to kneel before the Lord, our maker. You see, bowing and kneeling helps us get low before God, which is the essence of worship. You see, in our worship, with our deep reverence, We accept our place before God because we acknowledge his place above us. Did you get that? 
we acknowledge our place before God by acknowledging his place above us. And the only response to make is to bow down before him. When we meet God, whether it's individually or whether it's as a congregation, our worship should always involve reverence. Our worship should always be filled with rejoicing. Worship should be filled with both shouts and silence, both rejoicing and reverence. The invitation to worship calls us to an invitation to reverence. Here's the third thing that I will say about this call to worship. The invitation to worship involves a call to respond. It involves a call for us to respond. The end of verse 7 is a transition in the psalm. It concludes the first part of the psalm and it serves as an introduction to the call to respond. The psalmist is saying, stop everything and listen as God speaks. There's another change in mood. The opening verses give us a jubilant praise. Then we're called to reverence in verse 6. And now we're given a solemn warning that cannot be taken lightly. Notice there's a change in speaker. (coughs) Up until this point, it's been the psalmist who is speaking, but now it is God who is going to speak. Look at what it says, beginning in verse 8. Back up the middle part, verse 7. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as at Meribah, as on the day at Massah in the wilderness, when your fathers put me to the test and put me to the proof, though they had seen my work. For 40 years I loathed that generation and said, they are a people who go astray in their heart and they have not known my ways. Therefore I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. What God wants in worship is for us to listen to his voice. You see, worship, more than just coming together to sing, God also wants us to live out what we hear. Part of our worship is listening and responding to God's word. And God uses an Old Testament illustration. He goes all the way back in the book of Exodus. And if you're in my uh, Wednesday night Bible study, we just went over this a little bit last Sunday. So take a nap for a couple of minutes, okay? When you go back to the Old Testament, Exodus, God brings his people out. God saves his people. He carries them through, and they have a worship service. Exodus 15, Moses begins to, and he writes a song, and and they begin to dance, and they get out the tambourines. They get a little Pentecostal, and and they they begin to, to worship the Lord. And they come out of that, and they get to Exodus chapter 17, and sure enough, they begin to complain. They're just like, I think they're our Baptist. They had to be Baptist, right? They began to complain. They began to murmur. They began to say, where is God? Is God not going to take care of us? And they've run out of water. So God told Moses to strike a rock with his staff. And when he did, the water gushed out and the people were able to drink. And God told Moses, name this place Massa, which means testing. And name this place Meribah, which means quarreling. 
Because there the people had grumbled and tested God. And the psalmist recounts that incident because it reveals a common problem in every generation from the Old Testament all the way to today. We are people who are prone to grumble and put God to the test. We can be demanding of God. We can try to coerce God into satisfying our wants. And look, it is not wrong for you to ask God for help, but we have to be careful about our complaining if that help does not look the way that it should. This verse reminds us, these verses remind us that we worship God by responding to God in obedience. It is more than just the shouting of praise. It is more than just the act of reverence. Worship is not complete until there is obedience. Worship, wholehearted obedience, is the fruit of our worship. If we worship God as our shepherd, we must follow and obey him as his sheep. And so obedience, as we hear what God desires for us to do, we follow. For you see... A lot of people want to come to a worship service and feel moved. But not very many people want the worship experience to move them into obedience. A lot of people want to come and have their ears tickled and hear their favorite songs sung. But they don't want the worship of Almighty God to move them Monday through Saturday into the obedience that God has required because worship always leads to action, and part of that action is obedience. This invitation from God to worship, it is fundamental to our faith. He is worthy of our worship. He seeks people who are committed to worship him in spirit and in truth, and if we fail to accept his invitation, our hearts will become hardened, which will lead us into disobedience. There is a word in this psalm that I want you to read and hear, and that word is in the second part of verse 7. Today, 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 worship is to be persistent. Every day is today with God. We cannot put off God's invitation. Instead of waiting for another time, accept his invitation today. Today is the day of salvation. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Today is the time to practice a lifestyle of individual and congregational rejoicing and reverence and response. That day is not tomorrow. It's not next Sunday. That day is today. Because this psalm ends with quite an indictment. Of God saying of that generation, they shall not enter my rest. The people, I don't have time to get into it, but quickly. The people who left Egypt did not enter the, pro- <clears throat> excuse me, the promised land. They did not enter that place of rest because they hardened their hearts. The book of Hebrews takes this psalm, Psalm 95. And applies it to our lives today. And Hebrews chapter, chapters 3 and 4 teach us this simple truth. There is still a rest for the people of God. That we will miss 
if we make the same mistakes the Israelites made. The way to find rest is to take part in rejoicing with humble reverence and an immediate response. Listen to this invitation from God today and open your life to him today, not tomorrow, today. So I want to ask you, as we prepare for our time of commitment, what will you say? How will you respond to God's invitation? Some of you have a difficult time rejoicing in the Lord. Some of you making the decision that you're going to choose for other things to be bigger than God and to overshadow what God's done in your life. Look, rejoicing doesn't mean that you wake up every morning and with a heart by your bed and you go out and sing Chris Tomlin songs all day. That's not what rejoicing means. Rejoicing means that no matter what happens in your life, there is joy in your heart because a Savior has done something for you that can never be taken away. Are some of you looking more at your problems than you are on the Savior? Does some of you need to make a recommitment to reverence? Does some of you need to choose your response today to be obedient? What is it that you need to be obedient in following Jesus? I don't know what the Holy Spirit's placed upon your heart today. But I pray that you would respond to this invitation to rejoice in your relationship with Jesus, to revere him in your life, and to whatever he's calling you to do today, to say yes. Whatever's on that table, you put your yes on that table to what God's calling you to do. Father, I thank you for Jesus and his work for us. And I thank you that he invites us to experience him in worship. And Father, I pray that we would respond to this invitation in a way that would reflect the joy in our hearts and our lives, that would revere you as we kneel before you as the Lord, our maker, and that we would choose to respond in obedience today. Have your will, have your way with us in this time of commitment. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand in. Stand.